documentaries, uh-huh. history, insights, interviews, chefs deep dive. And welcome to Ship's Deep Dive. And today we've got a guest. He's the Don Juan of Croydon. He's the Marquis of Streatham. He's Skyping from Australia. He's Rob Matthews. Too bad, mate. <laughs> Third time lucky. <laughs> Don one of Croydon, eh? Well, Don one. I wonder how many kids I've got around the world right now. I know the answer <laughs> to that. It's, it's none because I've not had sex yet. You got one on the way. I've got one on the way. Yeah, the wife is like a belly with legs at the moment. It's weird. It's definitely not the woman I married. <laughs> I keep. <laughs> I've left up loads of pictures around the house of treadmills. Because <laughs> once you're finished with this bloody roly poly lifestyle, I don't want to see you until you're back to you to what I married you, where I married you. Are you having any cravings at the moment? Um, I think she's craving her own space from me. I'm worried that you've typecast me, by the way. Ah, right. right. What do you mean? In what sense? The previous one was Priscilla Queen in the Desert, which is about transite transvestites in the desert. Yeah. This one is about transvestites again, but okay, fair enough. It's not in a desert, but it is in the woods. <laughs> and they're in a trailer. So you've not totally typecast me. But I am going to have to navigate my language throughout this entire podcast again, so I don't, I don't offend anyone. Especially as the guy who's like, or woman who's in it, looks like a cross between. Matt Lucas and the Legion of Doom from WWF. <laughs> okay, do you want to tell the listeners what film we're doing today? Yeah, we're doing the wonderfully offensive Pink Flamingos. Animal rights activists always say to me, how could you kill a chicken for a movie? Well, I eat chicken and I know the chicken didn't land on my plate from a heart attack. We bought the chicken from a farmer who advertised freshly killed chicken. I think we made the chicken's life better. Got to be in a movie, got fucked, and then right after filming the next take, the cast ate the chicken. Yes, pink flamingos. It depends how you look at it, isn't it? If you look at it the wrong way, you could be totally offended. But that's his point of making the film. This is the 
he'd done a few films before this, really cheaply budget made, and he did this one with the total, with just the idea of we want to offend as many people as we can, shock the people, because um, he's going to live off that notoriety, isn't it? And that's how that's how the more or less the film comes to made. And he even says like it's a real shame that Deep Throat, which was uh, the classic porn film, which was uh, massively successful, wasn't it? It was like that, broke. That, sorry, was that Linda Lovelace? Was it? That's it. Yeah. So this that was like stupidly successful porn film, and he was a little bit gutted because he wanted to be one of the first ones to introduce the fellatio scene. <laughs> in, in... <laughs> Uh, in front of uh, four people, but um, it, I think it's more of him trying to shock the viewer and what are you willing to consume as an individual on screen? What did you think when you first watched it? I thought he was trying to go for the rebellious nature, which is kind of like, what's the social norms at the time? Let me make a list of all the things that could potentially shock I should imagine the church was pretty prevalent around those sort of times. So I should imagine it was a list of all the things that are considered sort of taboo and blasphemy in some way. And he just ticked them off in a list. And it just comes one after the other. And it's brilliant. I love this film. It's the first time I've seen it. Oh, man, I'm so glad that you liked it. Because for the listeners out there, um, after uh, Bob came on and did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I really wanted him to come back on and do another film. And um, I suggested to do this film myself because it's one what I wanted to do. But there isn't that many people you could really throw this at and sort of get it. And I knew Rob would probably get get this film. So I'm so glad that you enjoyed it as well because I had the fear because there's certain bits in it I know you wouldn't of light uh, which we'll go into in a bit and i thought oh it might be a bit sick because he doesn't really like that type of stuff i thought he's yeah, just gonna come on and go it's fucking shite <laughs> one of the things i was really pleased that you told me was not to read about it in advance yeah and it's really tempting because things like trailers you go on a trailer and you get a gist of what things are about but there isn't actually a trailer in existence you can go on youtube and there isn't a trailer it's just the crowd's response to the film as they leave the cinema. Isn't that brilliant? I love that idea. It, it makes the film even more um, more of a hunt to find. You know what I mean? That's very clever to make the trailer as just the audience response. Now, I know that uh, Job Waters says that it's because they couldn't put anything together for a trailer, for it's too extreme. But I really think that just having the audience response to it just makes you want to hunt for it more, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, right, it's not... It, those sort of tactics have been used more and more these days, yeah. especially with horror films, when they just show the crowd just sort of bending over, going, ah, I can't watch this, I can't watch this, for things like um, for like Saw or Final Destination. Yeah. And it's the crowd reaction that goes, okay, well, this is clearly something I need to experience because... Basically, everything else in terms of film has been watered down so much now that I'm not going to get any sort of genuine scares from any other horror films. Yeah. To be honest, when I do go and watch those horror films, the uh, the, the scene is bullshit. No one's actually scared yeah. in the actual cinema. There's not been a good horror film for ages. But I think that this, maybe it's the first time, I don't know, but it's certainly the first time I've ever seen it where they use um, crowd reactions as a way of promoting a film. This became so big 
because it was an underground film. It was famously only put out as a midnight showing film in uh, certain cinemas. And uh, this created this like underground uh, subculture, college, university, your stoners, your hippies at the time, who, who uh, at the end of the day, the pubs are closed. Where are you going go? to the, go? Let's go to the cinema. And you could freely smoke in them days, couldn't you? And uh, yeah. they just sit, smoking, laughing to a film. And it's perfect. It's like, I wonder why they're not doing it now, but there's so much fucking... HR, you know, health and safety issues now that like you wouldn't, wouldn't do it. But it's, if there was a cinema just playing these cult films, like your Rocky Horrors, like this one, like the the old black exploitation movies and stuff like that, which like they used to then in, in the midnight showings. But about the thing about the midnight movie scene, well, I didn't know anything about it until I literally read up of it on on it on its film. Uh, and and those people that were in that midnight scene were the people getting interviewed when they left the cinema. Yeah. I, I, just, I saw it was premiered at Baltimore University, and I couldn't help thinking that today there is absolutely no way that the university would allow this to be shown. No. They'd need they need safe spaces. The kids of today are so mollycoddled; they're like old women. Yeah. It used to be rebellious. I will say anything to anyone, and I'll do what I want. And you know, like I've got my leather jacket, my me, me crotch rocket, and a, a cigarette. And you know what? Fuck the world. Now they're all like, no, don't offend everyone. This film would have never ever seen the light of day. No, no. If it was out today. And it's a shame because those those university people which it was aimed at, like the subculture geeks or these these separate band of crew or, or people you know what i mean not the cool kids it wasn't the cool kids watching this or even making this this was the the ones who i don't know just just had something to say didn't they yeah society forgot them they were they were on the peripherals and then you create your own group you know he almost became a voice for that subgroup around about that time as well let's let's have a look at some of the numbers so the film roughly cost around ten thousand dollars to make and he had to work during the week and make this at the weekend. So it took a long time to make as well. And within that time, he used his mates uh, and his little crew of people called the Dreamland Crew, which is more or less like a hardcore version of the Andy Warhol crew, what he had at the time. And then um, it took eventually around seven million. Uh, John Waters has said that he had no producers to pay, he had no, you know, other directors to pay. He had no like um, large corps to pay off. So it was more or less swimming in money as this became more and more famous. It's a similar outcome to that previous one you put me on with the old Priscilla Queen in the Desert. That yeah. was a low budget. That had a subculture that blew up to millions. Yeah. Well, it it goes to show that you, what people want in films. Yeah, you get your action, your big, uh, you know, your MCU stuff, your Star Wars stuff, but they only have a short lifespan, don't they? It's like even a lot of people are saying the that uh, superhumans and stuff like that is coming to an end now. The of the end game, people can't really see what's going to come forward. X Men and that dies down. And you have peaks and troughs, but for a cracking story, or a crazy story, or something a bit subculture. It, it's, it lasts longer. Yeah, I don't know why Hollywood as a whole panders to sort of these massive investment films 
for for in terms of marginal return, low percentage returns. I mean, only some of the films where they get huge investment do they really re- get huge returns on. Whereas something like Pink Flamingos, good luck trying that again. Yeah, that's a one of a kind. And Shawshank Redemption, don't do that again. No. Those two, leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> There's only really one scene in Shawshank Redemption that would fit in in this this uh, Pink Flamingos film. <laughs> yeah and um yeah it's not the playing of the record is it (laughs) no it's probably the end when he he has a little swim in some shit to get out of the prison and even that's tame compared to this (laughs) yeah yeah at least he spits it out in in shawshank i know (laughs) (laughs) with this film as well you know what i did enjoy because i watched it again uh, this morning um, as I was taking more notes, was the music. I really enjoyed the music in it. And did, did you know he more or less ripped it off? John Waters literally went through his 1950s collection of music and he didn't even ask the artist could he use it. He just added it onto the film, which is sort of like how I do my little trailers <laughs> for my podcast. <laughs> That's what they did for Lock Stockens as well, didn't they? Oh, did they? Basically, Guy Ritchie went through his CD collection and just basically chose a few tunes that he really liked. And then that turned out to be one of the best soundtracks of any film about. I know. Can you imagine the, the artist, though, going, oh, hey, William quits in now. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the artists for this one? They basically pulled, a lot of them pulled their tracks from the film. Oh, like three or four. They originally had different sound. I couldn't tell you who. I think they're really kind of under underground um, bands, but a few of them saw the outcome and then went, no, nah, I'm not having my <laughs> band um, related to this. Oh, God. You see, any, man- oh, sorry. Sorry, any, any, any film which turned around, say you and I did a track and someone used it in any type of film, I'll be chuffed that they used it. Wouldn't bother me what, what type of film it was. It depends where you use it. I mean, there's a few <laughs> there's a few bits in this film where if it became the 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 kind of situation that my song my song might be a lovely song about a dog, right? <laughs> How much is that dog in the window? Can you imagine if you made a lovely song about that and then they put an image to it that you just couldn't even comprehend? Well, it's like I've got a sweet song about a sweet little girl walking past a dog, uh, a window and going, I love that little dog. I would like to know how much it costs so I could buy it. <laughs> then the alternative to that is this film where they have certain imagery, which I think we'll get onto later. <laughs> yeah, now, after watching this film, um, every time you listen to that song, it's just going to become that image. It? it just ruined <laughs> the, that gentle image for you. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't give a shit how much the bloody dog costs. Can I just have its a uh, its a uh, tray? <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get on to the story of the film then. This uh, this film has been banned in Australia since it's released. Is it and still then they banned? Tried to, well, they tried to get it um, not banned, but they wanted it heavily cut. So we don't have a rating here for actual sex scenes. Whereas uh, around the world, there is a possibility of edging them in on R-rated. But yeah. here we have, I think it was an old X-rated is what we used to have. 
anyway, they released it after the 25 years, and then they uh, and then they never just sought a certificate for it again after that. They released this VHS, which was heavily watered down, but you can only get it underground imported, and then they never sought a, a certificate to release it again here. So it's just not here. No way, that's crazy. Because strangely enough, it it was released in the UK with without even um, uh, any cuts because it was it was released as like a John Waters pack in the early eighties on VHS when hope luckily uh, Mary Whitehouse and them didn't actually view it because it would have just got ripped apart. So we was quite lucky for once in the UK that it got released fully. And, and before we get onto the actual film, New Line Cinema were the uh, first distributor of it. And they went on. That, this was their, one of their first ever films, New Line Cinema. And then they went on to do Lord of the Rings, Elf, Austin Powers, and that other famous uh, comedy, Sex and the City. Jesus, I never knew that. Yeah. So this more or less launched them, didn't they? I think they needed something, um, no, no try to, you know what I mean? If you're gonna, sometimes you need that spark, don't you? You need to, if you yeah, want yeah. to start something, you start, you start a fire. And even if something's, you know, banned, people want to see it. If people are talking about it on the underground to say how disgusting something is, people want to watch it. Yeah, I find Sex in the City more offensive than Pink Flamingos. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pile of shit. It's just this blonde woman just going, oh, I've so much cock. And everyone else just going, oh, yes, look at her. She loves cock, doesn't she? And she oh, yeah, I love cock. And that's it. It's a whole film. Actually, we should probably get onto the film. We've digressed again. We digressed, right, right. So the plot. You're first introduced with Divine, and you've got the, the trailer with her mum, yeah. who's, who's played by uh, Edith Massey, and she kept her name Edith in it because she found it quite hard to do the lines. And where, if you look where she's looking at people, she's just looking off the person because she's still reading the lines because she couldn't remember the lines, <laughs> Edith, as well. Do you know if Edie is like Edie in real life? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Because she's called Edie in all the other films she's been yeah, in. Yeah, they kept that because she found it too hard to have it a different name. She couldn't respond. <laughs> yeah, they like that. <laughs> I find her character so funny. Oh, it's the best. It's the best character out of all of it. I was saying to, I was describing, Rachel didn't watch the film, but I did describe what the film was about to her, and I read my notes out to her. And she was like, this Edie, I mean, she's described by um, John Waters, who's narrating at the beginning, as Miss Edie, uh, Divine's mentally ill mother. Yeah. And at that point, you haven't even met her, and you're like, right, well, this... They've tackled every other issue in this film beautifully. I'm sure this one's going to be tackled brilliantly as well. <laughs> and then you cut to her, and she's in a children's playpen, fat as a house, <laughs> barely moving, not a parallel tooth in her head. <laughs> They're all in different directions. <laughs> yeah, and you're thinking, surely just better off putting a pillow over this one. <laughs> Do you find it? I find it genuinely like um, touching the way they still want to look after her, and they wake up in the morning and she goes, "Eggs, eggs, where's me egg man? Where's me egg?" At that point, you think, "What's she going on about egg man?" But it's further on when you meet the egg man. <laughs> 
He was a case of fucking eggs. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> and she's so overly disgusting the way she is. She sat there in a knickers and bra. And she's obviously cold. But do you see the breath come from people's mouths? She must have been freezing there. Poor woman. Everyone's there with the coats and then she's sat in a knickers and bra. Well, that's our first introduction to, introduction to these the, the filthiest people. And that's the whole plot, isn't it? It's who's the filthiest people. She's just talking about eggs relentlessly. <laughs> if there's one theme to this film, because there's not many themes, no. it's probably the filthiness and eggs. Yeah. Chickens and eggs. Every scene's got a mention of chicken and egg. I still don't know <laughs> the relevance of but that. It, yeah, there's, there's chicken, egg and shit. They actually describe people at a number of occasions throughout the film of their absolute love and passion for that person is as much as having their shit. When is they're getting together and they're kissing each other, there's a few scenes, and they're like, I love you, I love you so much more than my shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's the be-all, end-all. That's something what's come out of me. <laughs> that's your benchmark, isn't it? That's That's... That's the day you get sacked from working at Hallmark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you put... all, your, all, your, all the inside of your cards are like, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, I love you, and as much as me shit. <laughs> Everything just ends up with shit. <laughs> two, the two people within this film, which for me, um, shine. It's Divine and Edith. She, she just drives it forward and forward. And there's, there's a brilliant scene quite at the beginning where Divine goes shopping and she's walking down the street, yeah? Now, that the way they filmed that was, literally, they just had um, John Waters in a car. All those people yeah. you see on the street wasn't extras because they couldn't fucking afford it. No. And he just let him walk <laughs> down the street. And those people's reactions at seeing what was going on is the actual reactions and then but so that's your first introduction to it it's like she's loving and tending towards her mum and then she's just wild and don't give a shit she'll go thieving she'll do what she wants if she wants to go to the toilet she'll do it anywhere and then the next lot of people we introduced to is the marbles the marble couple who's got the black market baby ring <laughs> that in itself yeah. could be a complete separate film the way the kidnapping women to impregnate them with their servant <laughs> sell the babies lesbians <laughs> this is so ahead of his time you know what I mean this is maybe where <laughs> where Madonna would have had to get her babies what she's uh, adopted in the past and she <laughs> I know when we meet when we first meet the bubbles we're um, they're in the middle of a job interview yeah and um, the job interview is going pretty badly for the other person and essentially they're saying, do you know Divine? So that's when I think you're introduced to this sort of gap between, or there's some sort of rivalry. And at that time, Divine doesn't know the rivalry exists yeah. because she's basically famous for being the most filthiest person in the world. And she's just a tabloid, like, lovely. And um, she's constantly, constantly, you know, in the tabloids for being the filthiest place on earth. And these marble couple... They're doing interviews where they're asking people if they know Divine and can get some gossip on Divine. Yeah. And uh, it's in that interview that you hear literally Rambo's machine guns of the word cunt. <laughs> and it's the first five minutes, and I just got over the fact that they're feeding a fat baby woman eggs, right? And then they throw that on me. Just cunt, 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 And cunt, so cunt. I'm thinking, right, 
the first five minutes of this is crazy. If it gets any worse, then we're in for a treat. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> so you're happy it is a treat. At that point, we're introduced to um, Divine Sun Crackers <gasps> and the other person that she lives with, which is her best friend. Uh, Connie. Cotton. Cotton, yeah. Cotton. Best friend Cotton. And they all live in this trailer park together. And the son says that he's basically going on a date. <laughs> and Divine's going to drive him into the city. And uh, he's going on a date and he's going to bring back a lovely date for his chickens to meet. <laughs> this is, it gets so bad, doesn't it? You know, when he's describing it, because uh, you've got a, a really good accent, uh, Rob, as well, and you could just be narrating like a Jack and Nori, couldn't you? And he's going on a date, and he's got his mum to go and pick up his date to show his chickens. Yeah. You don't, you're not expecting what's fucking about to come on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's where you start to see the relationship between the son and Divine, because Divine and him decide to go to drive into the town. Yeah. Into the city. And as they're driving through there, you then start to see Divine's sort of relationship with her son in that they're laughing their heads off at nothing. And then they see a jogger, and then they try and run him over. <laughs> and then they're laughing their heads off. Those silent scenes where it's just them laughing their heads off is mental. You see the very loving bond between his mum, Divine, and the son, Crackers, where they go on a bit of a trip, and then they pick up his girlfriend, Cookie, isn't it? Yeah, it's Cookie. Yeah, and uh, brings brings her back. I should, sorry, I've got to mention. What we then cut to is we cut to the scene of the Marbles giving an interview, like they did at the beginning, yeah. but this time it's with this young girl called Cookie, and she's telling the uh, Marbles that she knows Divine, and that she would be perfect for the job, then she can get some information on Divine. Um, and that's where you see the marbles reveal to Cookie the reason for the job, which is that they believe that they're the filthiest people on Earth because they have a heroin ring that sells only to children. <laughs> they've got, <laughs> they've got um, a baby-selling operation in their basement and that they have several pawn shops and that they should be in the tabloids as being the most filthy people on earth. So that's where we see the reason why they want to know Divine so much and potentially destroy her reputation as being the filthiest person on earth. <laughs> um, and Cookie in that interview reveals that it's her that is going to be going on the date with the son Crackers. Yeah who Divine is now driving Crackers to see her. And at that point, it, it, this is the connection then. So they, they more or less have her as, as a spy, don't they? Yeah. To find out more yeah. about, more more or less, where Divine is, because they didn't even know where she lived at that point. Yeah, exactly. They just wanted to track down, see what, see what she was about. So, yeah, Cookie has the interview, so we know, know that she's a spy. She's sort of semi-working for the marbles, who have more or less lost their marbles. And she goes on a date with Crackers, of which turns out to be probably one of the most strangest, <laughs> disturbing scenes of a film you probably ever see now. And it, there's no chance in heaven they'll make anything like this again. No, I don't think... This would not be in my top ten preferable first dates no. <laughs> if they said do you want to come back to my do you want to come back to my coop 
I'd be thinking, oh, you lovingly refer to your house as the coop. How cute. But he takes him her back to the chicken coop in his house. Oh, well, we, we must add as well, he's sort of got something going on with um, Connie as well, hasn't he? So she likes to watch him. She doesn't like to do anything. But who's quite fit as well, isn't she, Connie? But uh, yeah, but she likes to watch him, and he's got this deal like, yeah, he'll make this like voyeuristic experience for Connie really exciting this time because he's got this new girl coming, and he's going to show him his chicken coop. Yeah, and she says, "Do you mind putting a little bit more blood in it this time?" <laughs> and then, and he says, "For you, like Cotton, I will do anything." Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> It's at that moment that she looks genuinely delighted that the um, that he's about to bring back a, a sort of fresh meat. It's almost as if he's done it before, yeah. and this time it's going to be better than the previous time. And Cotton, at that moment, gets touched on the leg, and uh, you can see that she has problems with intimacy. Yeah. So she's fully voyeuristic and can't be touched herself. Yeah, I'll let you describe this one. <laughs> So, um, Cookie does meet his gran- grandma, the egg lady, Edith, doesn't she? And she's like, you're lovely. You're a lovely face. You've got a really pretty face. And then he takes her. He says, come on, do you want to see my shed? Do you want to see my place? And then instantly is caught to the point where they're having sex on the bed. And where you'd think in your mind this set scene won't last too long. You know what I mean? It just continues. And then as he's playing with yeah. the sets, he's got chickens flying around, real-life chickens, and he's grabbing the chickens, and he's shoving the chickens in between the two bodies. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're got... pecking away as well. <laughs> uh, like a Mulholland uh, sex drive. Yeah, <laughs> Mulholland sex drive. That's what they're doing. And he's just... And this poor these poor chickens, which... You know, uh, there's got to be a lot of uh, uh, RSPCA people <laughs> who probably don't like this film. Yeah. <laughs> who will happily eat the chickens afterwards. But I'm not sure how many chickens was injured in this scene or how many takes it took. But I, I very much doubt John Waters did many takes of this film just simply because they didn't have the budget to retake in lots of the stuff. But you see them pecking away. And I did read that the blood... A lot of the blood, what you do see, is blood because the chicken was pecking. And them, them beaks are fucking sharp as well. Have you ever seen a chicken? Yeah, yeah, I used to own them. Then, so, so the blood, was that the blood of the humans or was it blood at of the, the chickens? Because I thought he was crushing them and breaking them up and stuff well, like that in between them having yeah, sex. Yeah, well, at the beginning, you see, the, the, the there is blood on her uh, torso and him. And there's little light bits of blood, which is actual their their blood because the the chickens was pecking or slicing away with the with the with the beaks, and then he um have a uh, the break a chicken's neck for real, and then inserted that into the scene, and then carried on filming so it looked like they actually killed it, and then you got the blood of the chicken as well. So anyone oh. listening to this and they've never seen the film <laughs> at this point, you might turn it off. <laughs> but it, it it's it's. Crossing the lines of bestiality, isn't it, really? Yeah. And another, another taboo. Off, I was kind of turning it on, <laughs> to be honest. I was loving that. <laughs> well, 
I could see where Cotton's coming from. Yeah, and she's, she, yeah just behind the shed. Well, she, she's watching it. She, she's watching and she's loving it. And he's doing it for Cotton because he really loves her. And the girls, what he brings back is just his plaything. And his chickens are... He's, he loves his fucking chickens. <laughs> fucking chickens. <laughs> and then we, we, we move from the chicken part um, into the part where um, they're having a birthday party is coming up, and the the marbles yes. the marbles want to uh, send them a little present, don't they? Because now they know where they live, they think right, we're gonna fuck these up. They're not gonna be the filthiest people. Yeah, they they basically send her a present, a birthday present of shit. <laughs> shit turns up again, which I thought shit was a show of love. So they kind of contradicted themselves a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless yeah. the the meaning for this was um, wasn't seen as divine as a beans of love, because it is a nice box as well. It's a lovely, pretty box. Do you know a little bit of trivia about that scene no, as well? No, go ahead. Okay, so the box was meant to be reacted to because uh, when they open it by the sort of people acting, but it was going to be empty. Right. Right, but Divine took it late at night, the night before, and shitting it for real. So that was her real shit. Fuck. So when they opened the box, that was the real reaction of the cast and crew because they were just expecting an empty box. Shit, that's brilliant. Exactly. That is really good. Yeah. I like that. That was a cracking find as well. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll tell you some other ones about Divine. I went to yeah. deep. She was the inspiration for Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Shut the fuck up. Someone in Disney thought they yeah. get the inspiration from Pink Flamingo. <laughs> Pink Flamingos, yeah. Because you can, if you can imagine, all the Disney uh, animators and story writers would have been part of probably that in crowd. Yeah, because they would have been the, the geeks and stuff, yeah. So, the, yeah, they, there was a little homage. So, um, Ursula was basically divine, but turned black. Because um, they did, he originally wanted to put her in the red, you know, the red oh, the uh, dress, dress she yeah. Famous one. But they, it clashed too much with Ariel's hair, so they made her fully black. Oh, my God. You can see that now as well. Mm. That's so clever. It's, it's yeah. like those mysteries be, be, behind Disney where the the, the the people who drew it took, like, a little bit of... Um, themselves on the screen like there's certain bits where you can see set symbols within the disney film in there and they talk about there's certain yeah. things what they've hidden in there just because it was pissed off or a little bit of anarchy i mean those, those geeks would be just like laughing like beavis and butthead afterwards <laughs> going, I, I, I yeah. put the deke on screen yeah like um like in um uh lion king when it just the clouds move to the word sex in the corner and then disappear yeah. again <laughs> Yeah. And nobody, nobody's seen it from there. <laughs> no, exactly. I don't know why you'd do that. You'd lose your job straight away. No, it's not. It's it's no. similar to when when you and I used to work uh, together, and then you had the notorious wanker in the bog. Do you remember that? Remember that day? Oh, yes. <laughs> there was there was listeners. To get this. There was. Uh, we used to have this nutter of a manager, didn't we? I can't remember his name that much of a nutter. And he would just lose a plot over anything, uh, what he would consider disgusting, and rather just sort it out person to person. 
it would just make a, such a hoo-ha. It was more or less comedy-driven, and someone was having a wank in the toilet, but leaving the the semen, lots of semen, <laughs> in the, in the fucking loo, and um, word went around uh, to say, no, it was on the loo, not in no, the loo. on the loo. That's it. <laughs> Because I think it dribbled down the front of the toilet, which if you're a 14-year-old kid, that's a schoolboy mistake. Yeah. You t- you check those hidden areas, right? And what happened was he something about something about Mary, the front of the toilet, so it was dangling down. And then when he pulled his trousers up, he had dragged all the gum down the back of his ass <laughs> on, on his trousers. <laughs> which I was at the time thinking, Rob, you've got to keep your mouth shut because you know what you're like. But I was thinking, this is someone who has to come up with an excuse and the best thing to do is make it really public and that you're annoyed rather than actually someone's just come on my trousers. <laughs> so when, <laughs> Hiding in The word went around the whole office and everybody had the theories of who it could be but the trouble is also in those toilets where it was and the toilets weren't even disgusting there was nice it was a nice building in Disbury in Manchester and mm. uh, but some bastards used to be in there I want to wank and sometimes you'll see half a sandwich in there so someone sat on the bog having a sandwich never understood it <laughs> honestly Anyway, let's go back to Phil. <laughs> so, um, we got the box of human shit, which was nice to describe to yourself yes. that it was her shit. By the way, that's a, that's a decent sized shit she has to put that in. Yeah, yeah I'd, be, I'd be proud of that one. She doesn't she curl it up, does she? She doesn't look like the sort of person who would have healthy <laughs> shits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they decide that. She's going to have a party, don't they? The party of all parties. Would Would you have gone to this party, by the way, just before we start? I probably would have. I would have had to have known yeah. them, because then I would have been of that mindset. But it does seem like some sort of Manson party, yeah. as in everyone's free-spirited, probably don't fit in, in normal society, but they're trying to have a good time. It's worth noting that the marbles learn where the party's going on and they turn up but sit in the bushes and watch it. Yeah. And throughout the entire film, we're led to believe that there is a fictional character called the Eggman and that Edie absolutely loves the Eggman. And uh, they're always telling her, oh, yeah, the Eggman will be here soon, blah, blah, blah. And you think of it as some sort of Father Christmas character just to get such up. Then the Eggman turns up. And the Eggman has every different shade of egg, every different size of egg, and turns up like those old double glazing salesmen and has a, a sample of each one of the eggs and tells her, you know, you can have this egg, this egg, this egg, and she starts choosing her favourite eggs. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> so at this party, you've got lye shampoo, fake vomit, pig's head. This is all the presents she gets given. Yeah. You know, you'd be quite good if you got a pig's head for your birthday. And then uh, a meat cleaver. And then you've got, also got at the party, which was quite actually uh, erotic, was the topless woman. Well, you've missed the uh, amyl nitrate. Oh, yeah. Well, well, to me, poppers ain't, ain't that bad. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be happy if you get that. <laughs> and also, um, apparently, they, they were real poppers. And that scene, they are actually filming them taking poppers. That's why they all suddenly start laughing their tits off. That's ah, a genuine right. reaction. Cause that'll explain. Because if you, if you look quite closely, because they didn't use that much makeup within it, you see people's faces go red. 
which is predominantly what you yeah. get with pop music. Yeah, exactly. So then you've got the um, the woman doing a snake hat. But I think the best, the pinnacle, the icing on the cake was the singing ass. I, I want one of them in my, <laughs> my pies. That was incredible. I was worried that the whole earth was going to run out of oxygen, the amount that was sucking <laughs> in. That was incredible. Must... And, and oh, I wanted to go back to the woman yeah, go with ahead. the cock. Oh, yeah. So that woman who had the cock, um, she she's referred to as, um, I think it's just woman with a cock. Chip, no, yeah. woman with a cock. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was the one week exactly before she had the uh, penis taken away. No way. And then she's in his next film, Naked, as the woman, after the uh, gender reassignment. This is uh, Elizabeth Coffey, isn't it? She's like, well, the first, yeah, the first uh, transgender uh, woman, um, one of the first ones to to be there. Sadly, she, she passed away of AIDS in the 80s as well. A bit sad on that side, but uh, quite groundbreaking as well because there's a brilliant scene in it. It comes on a bit later when you've got the, the pervert of the marbles, their like servant, um, t- takes his cock out. I love that. He takes his cock out and adds a bit of beef or sausage to his cock. He's got a small kick and he's, he's like fellatiating himself in front of her, what you think is a woman, and she's really hot. By the way, she is hot, isn't she? Yeah. And then she flashes her tits at him, yeah. and then all of a sudden she gets a cock out. <laughs> there you go, that's what I was waiting for. And you're like looking at it, and oh, it's so funny. Again, this is probably one of the reasons you can't get filmed this today. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a film with a singing anus or someone doing that with that ass. I can't think of any film like that. Can you? Not a film on general release. And then uh, you also got the um, Edith wants to marry the Eggman, which is a perfect, lovely couple, isn't it? I, I, I genuinely shed a tear at this moment. I mean, this film is one thing that it doesn't lack is emotion. You know, they're at the party and you see the moment where she's popped in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> the few cans back of it. He's wheeling <laughs> way across the field and, and you can't help but just go, that's the life for me. <laughs> And uh, I wish, I wish every love we'll story, a like the notebook, the notebook was less romantic than that. <laughs> and that's where I think a lot of the heart comes from. It is a, it is a lovely moment. And then the marbles, they're looking on, and they, uh, they're thinking, this is outrageous. Holy shit, what's going on? Where me and you would probably enjoy it and just sit back and watch it. Definitely be on the poppers. So they yeah. ring the police. <laughs> And then it turns into fucking cannibal holocaust. So the peace police turn up and they decide to kill the police. <laughs> Knife them, chop them up, and then they eat them. Raw. That's the thing that annoyed me. Elise cook it. She had a barbecue. She cooked the meat that she had up her fanny <laughs> the entire film and on a big barbecue. So they could have at least put them on the uh, on the barbecue, but it didn't. They just ate them raw. Well, they, they look to be they look to be enjoying it. So they they'll kill, eat the police. And think, right, we're, we're going to go to the Marbles house now. So you've seen, up to now, you've seen um, uh, bestiality. You've seen a mentally ill egg woman. You've seen shit in yep. a box. You've seen um, yep. girls getting um, assaulted and their babies being sold off to lesbians. You've seen foot fetish, yep. where uh, the Marbles love, love a bit of foot fetish, don't you? And it's yep. still... Yep. 
pales in comparison to what happens next. <laughs> oh, you're seeing singing anuses as well. He's, he's challenging the audience. It's like saying, right, I'm just going to keep on. I'm just going to keep on challenging you yeah. to the next point. So Divine, she finds out who these people are that are against her, yeah. don't she? She's angry. She wants to outfilth them. So in this kind of twist of fate, almost like lock, stock and two smoking barrels, <laughs> they end up going to her, uh, the Marvel's place of residence, and the Marvel's end up going to hers. While they're in Divine's caravan, Divine is in their place, and they find the... Um, uh, the women locked up downstairs who are being created, who are creating the babies for them to sell, and the guy who's impregnating them, uh, Channing, comes down the stairs, and they offer the girls who are chained up the opportunity to kill him. Yeah. At which point they decide to chop his cock off, and we see that. <laughs> that is just after. Divine and her son Crackers decide to walk around the entire uh, Marbles residence licking every piece of furniture and uh, household item. Which you couldn't get away with now with Corona. People get really uptight with your licking shit now. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't it there. No, wait a bit. Um, And then... He decides to sit down and they're so excited that they're related. And I've been in this situation before. I've been like, mum, I'm glad you're my mum and everything like that. And sometimes I send her a Mother Day card depending on what mood I'm in or if my Moonpig account's got some money in it. Right? But he's so excited that he lays on his back and his mum says, Divine, you know what? I'm going to suck your cock. (laughs) And they do a close-up of it and you actually see it happening. (laughs) So divine, so divine. <laughs> it's horrible. This what I'm about to say. So divine is just so tough for her own son. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that about a film. <laughs> I've got notes here that says uh, divine finds out it was marbles and goes looking for them, then blows her son. <laughs> and then someone. Uh, that's when they they hear the man, don't they? And then they do the bit like you said of the kidnapped girls, and that's quite a tenderish moment because. When I first watched this, I remember first watching, like I says, many moons ago, and those girls are like confessing to her, going, "This is what's happened to us, and we've been kidnapped, and we're just here to make babies." I honestly thought Divine would do something bad against them. I was honestly thinking she's gonna fucking just shoot them, or she's gonna end up using them herself, or something nasty is gonna happen. But it shows, like deep down, Divine's got a good-natured soul. Really, if you do anything against her, her family, she'll fucking ridicule you. And she lets him free. I think in that moment, it's more of a selfish thing. I don't think she cares about the girls. I think she wants to see that they're ready to do something absolutely disgusting right. to him. And that's what it is. She sort of like wants them to uh, take down the person themselves. Like, go on, go on. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to see what they're going to do. And I think she that's that enjoyment she got. And they almost bought their freedom by doing the disgusting thing that she wanted. Right, I see. There, that makes that makes a sense, really. So she, yeah. she enjoys... Well, sort of like the whole point of the film is the voyeuristic action of allowing the person to view this, what goes on. I mean, it's allowing you to view every possible yeah. piece of filth and each one of them takes pride in watching the others or hearing about other people doing it and that's the whole point of the film isn't it to be filthiest person you have to be voyeur to be be a pronounced filthy 
Exactly. I don't. I don't think voyeurs. Uh, sorry, I don't really think filthy people want other people to be no. filthy. I think they want to be the filthiest person because if they're getting the um, adulation for being that filthiness, as in being notorious, being famous for whatever reason, like Ricky Gervais used to say, if you want to be famous, kill yeah. a prostitute. Your face will be everywhere, right? Well, I think in this moment, most most um, sort of filthy people go as far as they need to go in order to be the filthiest. Yeah. And they kind of don't want to go past that moment, but will go past that moment because their whole being is about being that extreme. So if a whole of the world decided that murder was okay, they no longer exist. They're just normal. So there's almost like that nod or, you know, tip to the cap to say society still needs to have voyeurs because all the voyeurs became the people that they're, being voyeuristic towards then there'll be no such you'd have to go to further extremes or there'll be no such thing as a a standout kind of you know what, that's, a, that's a, a really really good serious point to it and that also gets me to i've written a few notes as well is from the back of this film so can you imagine when this came out this was like wow this is full-on shocking and it is still shocking now when you watch but probably not as yeah. much as it was back then, because you've had things like um, um, Jackass, where it's full-on body uh, comedic horror of what they're doing to each other, weren't they? Like uh, you know, uh, stapling their asses together and all this type of stuff. You've had um, uh, your celebrity get me out of here, where they're eating fucking kangaroos' balls. You know what I mean? All this didn't exist back. It, when this film was made yeah. and Waters was saying this is the extreme amount of stuff that I'm going to throw at you but slowly but surely we're seeing these extremes now You know, I mean, the most popular things on ITV now is watching um, good looking people argue the toss with each other in some kind of reality based um, docu soap you know like X on the beach and stuff and again like you said it's voyeurs looking at it and you laugh about their stupidity and you it that's what life's more or less become isn't it uh, youtube is a platform for people to watch either filth or degraded people in different circumstances it's the the burning down society comes from the fact that we do voyeur or we do judge other people and we get to sit in this sort of isolated bubble not remembering our own faults and, and I think that by having these situations where everyone creates clowns or the new version of clowns that we have right now on uh, reality TV, we all get to sit back and feel brilliant about ourselves because we're exactly. not them. Exactly, yeah. If you want to see someone be ultimately destructive to themselves, yeah. you want to have empathy with that person in, to the point that you, uh, to the, in the sense that you want to behave like that. But all of your social conditioning and all of your rules and your own personal beliefs means that you won't ever act like that. But th- that it always be compelling for you to yeah. watch. Porn just doesn't doesn't have to be about sex. Porn just has to be something that elicits a reaction from you that you know essentially brings out that malevolence inside you that you want to keep and are compelled to keep yeah. watching. And I think that this is the sort of film that does yeah. that. 
it took every one of the taboos and if say there's seven taboos six of them are not for you but one of them is then he's he's done what he wanted to he's given you yeah. your pawn he's given you a voyeuristic moment and the whole point of the film where they say it a few times where they say you're you're the uh, you're the asshole you know what I mean? That's that's the whole thing. The arsehole within the film, which I think it's, which in my view, what it's displaying is the people who are watching the film. They're saying there's so many arseholes yeah. out there. Well, who's the arsehole? I think John Waters is saying, I've just shown you every fucking taboo there is. I've gave you your little titillation. I've shown you some uh, yeah. degradation and defecating and uh, destruction of, of what happens in the in the world as well to the extreme. Who's the asshole? Was well, the person who's watching it? Because you're carrying on watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you watch the film, like I said, the first thing you hear is the word yeah. "cunt." Now, for a lot of people, that's a bailout yeah. moment. Right? I don't want to hear that word. Then you see, then you see, um, you know, pretending to run over hitchhikers. Yeah, that could be a bailout moment. Uh, robbing a bit of meat and having a shit in a park. You could have bailed out at that moment. What they're saying, they're testing your resolve yeah. as in like, I know you pretend to be this person who's against all these like kind of moral outrage and everything, but if you're still watching this film at 90 minutes, then that's on you because I've given you ample opportunity to walk away yeah, from this film. Yeah. It's, it, it pushes the boundaries at each point and it goes up a higher level because it's saying, what are you willing to consume? How far are you willing to go? Yeah. And then this was, like we said, made in early 70s. And look at yeah. what people are fucking watching now on the phones. It's, it's it probably fails yeah. in comparison. Yeah, it's versions of this. Anyway, let's let's get back to Phil. There's something we oh, didn't yeah. mention just a minute ago, actually. The fact that Divine actually kidnaps the marbles after returning back oh, to their house. Course. Yeah, that's it. There's a really weird situation where they Divine figures out that the marbles are not going to be at the house after she's just blown her son and chopped off a cock. Um, you can't see that in many films. And so she decides to go back to the trailer and the marbles leave the trailer, obviously, after setting fire to it and go back to their own house. Yeah. And so, basically, the marbles go into the house and they realise that um, Channing has had his cock chopped off and they go up and they have a sit-down to have a little contemplation of what has gone on and as they sit down, all the chairs that were licked by Divine start throwing them on the floor. <laughs> you know what? It's a really, it's a really clever like, scene. That I don't understand. Well, it's supposed it. to reject them into. It's supposed to be that, that they've got this. I don't know. It's like superhuman power of Divine that um, nothing wants them. They're just getting rejected. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the marbles get rejected, and then they get kidnapped by Divine. And then Divine decides to open it up for the whole tabloid press and wears the iconic red dress as well, covers them with tar and feathers, straps them against a tree, and then says, you're accused yeah. of arsehole-ism. Arsehole-ism? Arsehole-ism. I love it because they basically say to her, what's your politics, Divine? Filth is my politics. <laughs> Filth is my life. So that was the only thing in the trailer that I saw that they actually played. <laughs> and then, and then that's it. They, they get, just get shot in the head by Divine. I don't know if he did this on purpose, right? Because it seems like things ramp up throughout yeah. the film. So like I was saying, it gets progressively yeah. worse, right? 
I don't know if he puts murder at the end of it and it's the least controversial thing. Are we that numb to murder now that actually it's the worst thing of all of them? As in, it's, it's just literally the worst thing you can yeah, do to someone. Yeah. Life away. You can rape someone, they're not dead. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's bad, but like, death is the yeah. worst thing. That's the thing that was less, like, I was more numb to than anything. I know. Isn't, isn't that strange? Because when you watch this, it's just, it's just flitted over. And it's it's so flitted over to the point where she even shows the media it. This isn't something you, you're hiding in a, in a little barn with someone shagging a chicken or anything like that. The actual thing which yeah. she wants the world to see is her murdering someone, like you said, the worst possible thing which could happen to someone. She she grabs him, straps him to a tree, shoots him in the head. And even the, I know the special effects at the time, that there isn't zero, and the gun's more or less a pop, don't it? It just goes, poof, that's it. But even that is so pathetic that it it is failing in comparison to everything else. What has just gone on in the film? This is like the drooping. It's like boom, like the dead. And you just you in as yeah. a as a human, as a voyeur of the film watching it, you want a bit more, a bit more titillation. You're like, one minute, that can't be it. That can't be the ending. <laughs> yeah, and, and and in some ways, it's actually the ultimate ending. As in, like there can't be anything more finite yeah. than death. And then, and then you're watching someone die, and you're almost indifferent to it because maybe, just maybe, we've been shown so much death and gratuitous violence in the past that it no longer has an effect. So, are you meant to feel like that? Are you meant to feel that it it was the biggest um, event of the film and it had the less, least impact? Sorry. And does it mean that the voyeurism, the shame in it? comes with living with it as in like we're watching it we're seeing it we're doing all these weird sort of things and um the fact that i wake up tomorrow morning knowing what i've done yesterday is is the shame and is that worse than anything and whereas in death there is no tomorrow so you can't live with any shame and so therefore our proclivity to feel bad or or see the disgustness of the film Final ending of being shot doesn't disgust us so much because we don't have to live with the consequences of being shot tomorrow. That's an amazing point. That's a really good point. So we then he finishes it off. Do you want to call you can talk about this? Bit. Well, as a dog owner myself <laughs> Basically they fed a dog on steak for three days and then Divine, her son, Crackers, and her friend Cotton they decide to move yeah, somewhere yeah. else uh, and they've got a completely different identity. They've got different hair colors and stuff like that. They're walking down a road and Divine just gets the twinkle in her eyes, which I think twinkle is the name of the dog. And she walks over and sits down behind this dog who has just done a shit. And she picks up the shit and she puts it in her mouth. You can see it even gagging on it as well because it is hard for it to do. But I love the voiceover yeah. at that point And this, this finishes off the film perfectly because then he breaks down the barrier between um, us as an audience we're now participating in what she's doing because she's looking at the camera she's looking at you to prove that not only the filthiest person in the world but the filthiest actress because at this point it's saying this is an actress and you're watching this and this is for you the audience you made it this far my guess is that is a joke yeah the last bit 
because my guess is I've given you an opportunity to turn off this film, every opportunity throughout the entire time. Now I've got you to the yeah. end. I'm going to drop the most disgusting thing on you. Right. Yeah. And even if you turn it off after this, who gives a shit? Cause it's, it's fit the yeah. end of the film. So it's my little joke. And you can, it's my little that thing makes where, sense, sir. where I say, aha, that's it. This is the worst stuff. Exactly. And he's giving you the ending already. The ending of the plot of the conclusion of the film happened when Divine shot the uh, the marbles couple, uh, but after that, like you yeah. said, it finishes on a wet note. So he's added this in to say, you know what, you wanted a bit more. If you're still in the cinema, this is what you're getting. And you can't yeah. actually think of anything worse, can you? <laughs> no. Which brings me to the point where I'm going to say that there was a sequel that was written. Do you know about I heard that? They did write a sequel, and uh, Trauma Films wanted to back it, didn't they? Who were famous for like a Killer Tomatoes and Swamp yeah. Thing and stuff like that. And they, the, all the actresses and uh, actors rejected it. Divine said she didn't want to be in it. She said that she's more of a, a serious actor, actress yeah. from there, and she decided she didn't want to be in it. But it was gonna. The plot was gonna be that the Marbles had a sister who come back, and she had a husband who was a necrophiliac. <laughs> right? So he must have gone. Oh yeah, I've missed out. I've missed out paedophiles and uh, fucking the dead. <laughs> right? What am I doing? I've completely missed that bit out. Actually, no. I think paedophilia is kind of in there because he exposes himself to school. Yeah, people, yeah, it? yeah. So, uh, so he must have thought, oh, I missed out fucking the dead. Let's put that in there and see how that... He then did a massive turn on his type of films he, he started to produce after that, like from polyester upwards. It was more aiming yeah. towards a a greater audience or more of a commercially successful audience, like, you know, Hairsprays. Is, you can watch that with your family. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. Oh, Hairspray. Me and my younger sister, when we were probably about eight or yeah. nine, we watched it on repeat, and we probably didn't understand most of the um, topics that were covered yeah. in that film. We used to find it really funny about hypnotising the girl not to fancy a black man. It was just, like, <laughs> funny. Do you know my memory recall of Divine yeah. was that she was actually a woman? He does pull off. An amazingly diva woman, doesn't he? He pulls it off perfectly. Even his mum said, I can't believe he did the film because of his expensive taste and his like diva attitude. <laughs> well, you can see from the 80s onwards, he did stuff which mainly in line, which everyone could watch, like Hairspray. I got Cry Baby, which launched Jenny, Johnny Depp's career, really. That was, what, oh, I remember that was that. one. And then he did Serial uh, Mum. I remember watching a Serial Mum. I thought it was all right. Kathleen Turner. You used to always have a thing for Kathleen Turner. Yeah, he thought she was really hot. And then, uh, and then after that, he's, he's done a few other films, but nothing to the success of Hairspray or the notoriety of Pink Pink Flamingos. But as a as a piece of career, even though even if he doesn't do any other films now, he's 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 going to be remembered by probably two two groundbreaking films what he's done in his life. Do you want um do you want a list of trivia? Yeah, 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 throw it in. Um the art department for the entire yeah. film was given two hundred dollars. 
They spent $100 on the trailer itself, which I think is a yeah. bargain. Yeah. Um, and then the other $100, they decked out the inside of the trailer. And then the rest of it, they stole. <laughs> yeah, so the art department were told, look, this could be potentially a big film, but you've got to go out of your way to make it a good film. So uh, you've got to go and steal it. So I hope they've got some of the $7 million for the... Uh, for the effort they put in there. Well, the thing is, with an art department, I love how, how it says the art department, because there's all these mates, weren't there? It was just a, a group of mates. <laughs> it's like me going to you, Rob, we're making a film. Like, you're going to be the art department, mate. Oh, by the way, you're a makeup artist. Oh, and you're a special effects guy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You'll be like, me? Oh, thank you for teasing me. You got me. 100 quid, mate. That's it. <laughs> Walters said that he was high when he wrote the film. Which might answer the reason why he had so many friends that were willing to just do anything. Yeah. He was very high when he wrote the film, but he was not high when he filmed the film. Well, yeah. You had to get the best out of what he can. You had to be serious at that point. From what I hear from that is that he had a lot of friends who got yeah. high. I think, I think you'd have to actively encourage your crew and your cast to be off their tits, wouldn't you, to do the antics and stuff. Can you imagine turning up on the day... And crackers, he goes, right, today, mate, you're going to be fucking chickens. What? Yeah, have a smoke of this first. <laughs> and then he has a little puff and he goes, where's the Give fucking chicken? Bastard of a chicken. <laughs> Who the fuck is Bernard Matthews? <laughs> we do chickens around here, you pig shit cunt. <laughs> Cookie mentions during the film, when she's having a little chat with um, Edith, she mentions Glenn has been released from jail. Glenn, I think his name is Glenn Misteed or yeah. something like that. Being released from jail. And it's part of when she's reading the newspaper. And then Divine says, I've not heard that name in a few years. Well, that's Divine's real name. Oh, right. Oh, that's nice. So everyone calls her yeah. Divine and has been calling her for like 10 or 15 years. And John Waters thought it would be funny to use her real name, as in her birth name, in the film, as a little joke, as a little homage to him, and then he was going to say, not heard that name in a few years, as in it was his little joker saying, no one ever calls me that, I'm just divine to everyone now. <laughs> That's really good. That's like dead naming, but yeah. in an agreed way that he would do it. Dead naming? Yeah. Yes, that was the last one. <laughs> so, I think we've come right. to the end of it now. Another end of a really good pod again and i'm going to ask you like we did last time i hope you're prepared if not i'm going to put you on the spot what song do you want finishing off you've been told by john waters mate you can use any song because we're just going to tag it on at the end of the film divine's just eating shit what song do you want playing over the top of the credits roll i say john it's funny you asked me this question because cliff just asked me this question at the same time <laughs> i would like it ain't over till the fat lady sings by Keela Settle. Well, thank you very much, Rob, and thank you for coming on again. Hopefully, we can do another one next time, and maybe in, in a different style, because you're sort of getting typecast now, are you? I am getting typecast. <laughs> so maybe we'll choose a different one next time. <laughs> thank you very much, Rob. Thank See you, you later, mate. Cheers. You are-